The following message is brought to you by Berean Bible Church and may be used and distributed free of charge. For more free audio, video, and text resources, be sure to visit www.bereanbiblechurch.org. Thank you. Good morning. I want to welcome you this morning to Berean Bible Church. Appreciate you being here. Um, We're continuing in our study in 1 John. We're not going to make it too far this morning. Because for our time this morning, I want to look at three words, okay, which is actually two words in the Greek. Do not love. We're just going to stop right there because uh, that's as far as we're going to get today. And I'll explain that as we get in it here. But the Greek here is me agapao. Me being a negative. So this is the idea, don't agapao. That's what it's saying. Don't love. Now, of course, it's saying don't love the world, but we're not going to get that far today. All right, just want to talk about don't love. Because if someone were to ask you about the Greek noun agape, you're familiar, I'm sure everybody's familiar with agape, right? We've all heard that. Or the verb is agapao. When you hear that, what does that mean to you? What is agape? Unconditional love? Anybody else? God's love, okay? Right? You've heard that. We've all heard that. That agape, agapao, that's God's love, right? I'm going to prove that wrong today. Okay? <laughs> this is it. <laughs> all right? So, so hang on now. All right? We're going to have some fun this morning, all right? All right, in the Greek, we talked about this a couple weeks ago, there are four different words for love, all right? Uh, there's the noun eros. This word is used to describe erotic love, sensual love, the love you feel when you supposedly fall in love. It's a passionate attraction towards the opposite sex. All right, that kind of love is not even mentioned in the Bible. All right, it's not used at all. Then there is the noun storge. This word speaks of the love of family. It is used of the love of a parent towards a child and a child for a parent. This really isn't even in the New Testament. Now, forms of it are. There's, it's only used three times, but it's never just storge. They have the prefix alpha in front of it, which means no love or no storge. All right? It is translated in Romans 1.31 and 2 Timothy 3.3 as unloving in the New American Standard. And the ESV puts it this way, heartless. That's kind of interesting. So Storge's love of the family, in, the, in those two texts, it's, there's no love for family. All right, It's used in Romans 12.10. It's compounded with philos, and it's translated devoted in the New American. And then there is phileo, which means affection, uh, friendship, a feeling of tender affection towards someone else. It is used to describe a man's closest and nearest and trusted friends. You know, we have Philadelphia from this word, the city of brotherly love. So that's the idea, brotherly love. All right? We're going to talk more about phileo in a minute here. But the word John uses in our text here is agapao. Now, what I said a couple weeks ago about this Greek word is going to change. All right? But I want to tell you what I said a couple weeks ago just to set this in your mind. All right? This Greek word was rarely used in Greek literature prior to the New Testament. In the New Testament, the word agape took on a special meaning. It was used by the New Testament writers to designate a volitional love. Hang on to that. As opposed to a purely emotional love, a self-sacrificial love, a love naturally expressed by divinity, but not so easily by humanity. It seems as though the early Christian church took this word out of its obsoleteness and made it the characteristic word for love. Love is not a feeling, it's an action. God loved, so He gave. Now here's what I said about agape in other places, because we've been talked about agape a whole lot. Agape love is a response to someone who is unworthy of love. The concept of love was derived from the cross. God loved the world, and He gave His Son for it. That's a response to unworthy people, to sinners, to those who are his enemies. That's agape. It is love that proceeds from the nature of the lover rather than the worth of the person who is loved. It's a love that gives. It's love that seeks the best of the object loved. Agape is 
A commitment of the will to cherish and uphold another person. It is the only word ever used to describe God's love. It's a decision that you make. It's a commitment that you have launched upon to treat another person with concern, with care, with thoughtfulness, and work for his or her best interests. Now, the view I had on agape was one that I got following the calf path. You all familiar with the calf path? I want to share with you that poem this morning by Foss. Uh, it, it is powerful if you just think about what he is saying here. Especially powerful when we put it into the church. Okay, One day through the primeval wood, a calf walked home, as good calves should, but made a trail and bent askew, a crooked trail, as all calves do. Since then, 300 years have fled, and I infer the calf is dead. But still he left behind his trail, and thereby hangs my moral tale. The trail was taken up next day by a lone dog that passed that way. And then a wise bellwether sheep pursued the trail, or val and steep, and drew the flock behind him too, as good bellwethers always do. And from that day o'er hill and glade, through those old woods, a path was made. Get in the picture? Okay, just started out with one calf wandering through and people are following it. And many men wound in and out and dodged and turned and bent about and uttered words of righteous wrath because twas such a crooked path. But still they followed, do not laugh, the first migration of that calf. And through this wandering woodway stalked because he wobbled when he walked. This forest path became a lane that bent and turned and turned again. This crooked lane became a road where many a poor horse with his load toiled on beneath the burning sun and traveled some three miles in one. And thus a century and a half they trod the footsteps of that calf. The years passed on in swiftness fleet. The road became a village street. And this before men were aware, the city's crowded thoroughfare. And soon the center street was this of a renowned metropolis. And men two centuries and a half trod in the footsteps of that calf. Each day a hundred thousand route followed the zigzag calf about. And o'er his crooked journey went the traffic of a continent. A hundred thousand men were led by one calf near three centuries dead. They followed still his crooked way and lost a hundred years a day. For thus such reverence is lent to well-established precedent. A moral lesson this might teach, were I ordained or called to preach, for men are prone to go it blind along the calf path of the mind, and work away from sun to sun to do what other men have done. They follow in the beaten track, and out and in and forth and back, and still their devious course pursue to keep the path that others do. They keep the path a sacred groove along which all their lives they move. But how the wise old wood gods laugh who saw the first primeval calf. Ah, many things this tale might teach, but I am not ordained to preach. Powerful, powerful message there. Now, I, I have a poem for you, but I don't have three points this morning. So you're just going to get a poem. Okay. But, you know, that, that paints the picture that somebody goes down a road and everybody just follows them. Nobody knows why. It's just what everybody before me has done. And that so happens in theology. Someone sets a path, everybody just jumps on it, and the more people jump on it, the wider the path gets, and everybody follows it. It's so easy to stay on that calf path. And that's why I'm always encouraging you to be a Berean and to search things out for yourself. And to tell you the truth, I am kind of surprised that it, nobody has ever called me out on this. It seems so clear to me now that I'm like, how come nobody ever said, hey, that's not right? So why is this new to me? Uh, why do I have a new view of agape after 43 years of studying the Bible? Okay, oh, here's, the, the, here's the reason. We have to understand that our understanding of the Bible comes by illumination. Okay? 
That's the Holy Spirit giving us an understanding of the inspired revelation. And if God doesn't open our eyes to things, we just don't see it. So, illumination is the Spirit's job, but I think there are three keys to illumination that help us, and that is humility, holiness, and hard work. Alright, I start with humility because David prayed in Psalm 119.18 that God would open his eyes to behold wonderful things out of your law. In other words, you go to the Scripture with humility asking God, Lord, teach me what this means, what this says, help me to understand it. And then, holiness. And by that I mean practical holiness. I don't think God is going to give you a new revelation when you're not living up to what you already have. It's like, you know, I taught you this, you don't want to do that, why am I going to teach you anything else? And then the last one is one where it loses most of us. Hard work. Okay, This is where we fall short because we're not willing to labor, to dig, to understand the truth. We want to come by it by reading a devotional. We want it ten minutes a day. you know. Alright, now here is what I am questioning this morning. And here is where I want to try to break off this calf path and maybe make a new route. All right, Is agape a special and spiritual type of love? I've heard that all my Christian life. I've taught that all my Christian life. You know, I asked some people the other day that were over at our house, I said, let me ask you something. What is agape? And they said, it's God's love. Like, good answer. Wrong one, but good answer. (laughs) You know? So, you know, we see the word love in the New Testament. We see agape and we think, well, that's God's love. All right? The word for love in the New Testament is most often translated... Agape or agapao. And since many of those scriptures are telling us about God's love, it's not surprising it would assume that agape refers to God's love. But however, my paradigm shift this week is that that assumption is not accurate. Okay, When the New Testament was being written, the Greek noun agape and the verb agapao were the most common and general words for love. They were used in a variety of contexts just as our English word love. You know, our word love is broad. I love my dog, I love pizza, I love my wife, I love God. Hopefully, there's some difference there, right? Okay? Well, you know, I used to teach that, well, that, the difference is agape. It's a direct, that's you loving God. Well, I think agape is just like our word love. It's a very broad word. There's a lot of different uses to it. Godly love is a spiritual love that God through the Holy Spirit enables believers to have. All right, Everything I talked about at love so far is true of God's love. It's just not true of agape. Okay, You can't define it by agape. For example, this is what the Scripture tells us about God's love. Romans 5.5 5. Hope does not put us to shame because God's love has been poured out in our hearts. All right, This is agape, God's love. It's been poured out in our hearts through the Holy Spirit, which has been given to us. And then in 1 John 4, 7 and 8, he says, Beloved, let us love one another, for love is from God. And whoever loves has been born of God and knows God. Anyone who does not love does not know God, because God is love. So godly love is a spiritual love that God, through His Holy Spirit, enables believers to have. I think the confusion arises because many people assume the same thing about agape. They They equate agape with God's love. We assume that agape is kind of maybe a special word that just designates God's love. That's how I had always felt. It doesn't. The definition I gave earlier, let me repeat this before I show you something. Agape. Now you could say God's love and this would all be right. But just putting agape there kind of messes things up. Agape is a commitment of the will to cherish and uphold one another. It is the only word ever used to describe God's love. That's not true. All right, It's a decision that you make. It's a commitment that you have launched upon to treat another person with concern, with care, with thoughtfulness, and work for his or her best interest. Now, how does that definition of agape fit with this? And he said to him, O son of the king, why are you so haggard? Morning after morning. Will you not tell me? Amnon said to him, I love Tamar, my brother Absalom's sister. Now in the Septuagint, the Greek translation of the Old Testament, love here is agapao. So Amnon's saying, I agapao, Tamar. 
Now, if you know this story, hopefully you have some questions running through your head right now, right? Okay, is so wait a minute, what do, you, what do you mean you agapaho her? That's God's love. You can't, you know, let's look at the story. Let's see how he loved her, okay? All right, you know, he wants a sister. Well, so he, they come up with some plan. You know, his, his counselor there says, well, tell the king, you know, you, you, uh, you're sick and, and you need someone to come and make your breakfast. So she'll come and make your breakfast. So she comes in, makes some breakfast, goes to serve it to him, and he tries to get her in bed. And she answered him, no, my brother, do not violate me. Such a thing is not done in Israel. Do not do this outrageous thing. As for me, where could I carry my shame? And as for you, you'd be as one of the outrageous fools in Israel. Now therefore, please speak to the king, for he will not withhold me from you. But he would not listen to her. And he being stronger than her, he violated her and he lay with her. So he's agapowing her, right? Then Amnon hated her with a very great hatred so that the hatred with which he hated her was greater than the love with which he had loved her. And Amnon said to her, Get up, get out of here. Now the Septuagint, the words for love here are agapao. He says the hatred where which he hated her was greater than the love, agape, with which he had agapao her. Now how does this fit with what I just said earlier about apago, agapao? I said agape is a commitment of the will to cherish and uphold another person. Amnon agapao Tamar, so he raped her, and then he sent her away. How does that fit with your definition of agapao or agape? Does that give you the ring of, ah, this is God's kind of love. This is how we're to love people, right? That's ridiculous. Now, you may be thinking, well, that's the Septuagint. Maybe they just translated that word wrong. Well, you know, they're Greek, and so maybe they know a little bit about Greek, you know, in translating this. So maybe they weren't wrong, but let's look at a few other New Testament verses. All right, 2 Timothy 4.10. For Demas, in love with this present world, has deserted me and gone to Thessalonica. So Demas was in agapao of the present Ion. He had God's love for the present world, so he left Paul. All right? Could Demas actually have had a selfless or spiritual or Christian love for the present age? That doesn't fit in that context at all. Is it possible for sinners to have the same kind of selfless, moral, spiritual love that God's people have? Let's look at another use of Agapao. Luke 6.32 If you love those who love you, what benefit is that to you? Even sinners love those who love them. All four uses of love here is Agapao. How could sinners or unsaved agapao each other? The spiritual God kind of love. All right, Luke eleven forty three. What are you Pharisees? This is a pronouncement of judgment. Woe means you're damned, basically. Okay, that's what he's saying. Woe to Pharisees, for you love the best seats in the synagogues and greetings in the marketplace. Here, love is agapao. So they love the best seats with God's kind of love. Nope. That doesn't fit at all there. Let's look at another use. One that I totally missed when teaching through the Gospel of John. This is pretty stark here. John 3.19 And this is the judgment. Light has come into the world and people loved darkness. Rather than light. Because their works were evil. How is it possible to agapao the darkness? If this is God's love. This darkness describes what that which is intrinsically evil. So how do you sacrificially love the darkness? How do you, for the highest benefit, love the darkness? How does one love the darkness with the love which is unique to God? See, none of these common understandings of divine agape make sense in this context. Surely in John 3.19, agapao is not a good stimulus. Okay? They're loving darkness. In fact, agapao for darkness describes the motive for rejecting the God of light. They're rejecting God because they love this other thing. Either people agapao darkness because they desire to commit deeds that are evil, or as a consequence of their deeds being evil, they agapao the darkness. This love of the darkness motivates them to hate and avoid the light. Now, is this agapao of darkness the same agapao? as Yah, 
Yahweh has for the world? John 3.16, For God so agapao the world. In verse 16 and 19, two lovers and two objects of love are contrasted. First we find God who agapaos the world. Then we fo the focus shifts to a culpable humanity where agapao the darkness rather than light. What a focus, what a difference in focus this is. What a difference in the nature of the lovers. Yet the same word agapao is used in both sentences. So are you starting to see that maybe agapao is not talking about just God's kind of love? It can be used for that, but it's not unique to that kind of love. Alright? Let's look at these two. For God so loved the world, do not love the world. Well, God loves, we're not allowed to love. <laughs> we're told not to. Same words for love, same words for world. Cosmos. God agapaloed the world, we're not allowed to love the world. Alright, something is going on there. Alright? Look at John chapter 12, 42 and 43. Nevertheless, many even of the authorities believed in Him, but for fear of the Pharisees, they did not confess it, so they would not be put out of the synagogue, for they love the glory that comes from man. Here believers loved agapao, the glory that comes more from man than it comes from God. That's not a good agapao. Now, most would rightly say that the word agapao is properly understood to describe our love for God and others and God's love for us. But who thinks that agapao can be legitimately used to describe our devotion to that which is God's rival? And that's how it's used so many times. God's rival. Agapao. It's not God's love. Look at 2 Peter 2.15. Forsaking the right way, they have gone astray. They have followed the way of Balaam son of Peor, who loved gain from doing wrong. Here Balaam loved Agapao, the gain he got from wrongdoing. Now nobody would question that in these verses, Agapao describes the emotion that we call love. This Agapao, however, is wrongly directed. It's idolatrous. It's destructive. Now two other Greek words are usually translated as love in the New Testament. Philos, which is a noun, it appears 29 times. Phileo, the verb, appears 25 times. And many of our English words are based on the root Greek word phileo, such as Philadelphia, the city of brotherly love. However, agape appears 116 times and agapao 137 times in the New Testament. So we see how much more prevalent is this pair of words compared to philos and phileo. So you got agape, agapao, philos, phileo, they have slightly different meanings. But, however, in the New Testament, they're frequently used synonymously. They're used interchangeably. Now, I read earlier that a statement I made in the past that agape is the only type of love used in the Scripture for God. And I'm going to show you that that's not true either. Okay? So I tell you, don't believe what I tell you, man. You've got to study this out, okay? Okay. <laughs> uh. We're told by those who think they're Greek experts that the Greek word phileo means only a casual or friendly type of love. A brotherly kind of love. Not anything too serious. Right, just kind of brotherly love. But when the New Testament speaks of godly love, it does not always use agape or agapao. Let's look at John, John 5.20 here. It says, For the Father loves the Son. Alright? What's the word for loves there, you think? Agapao? That would make sense, wouldn't it? We understand that. That's God's love. No, he says phileo here. What? The father phileos the son. Was he mad at him? Something wrong? He didn't quite love him as much as he usually did? No. These words are interchangeable, people. Alright? John 16.27 For the Father Himself loves you. Yeshua's talking here to His disciples. He says, the Father loves you. Why? Because you love Me. And again, we'd expect agapao, but here it's phileo. The Father phileos you, disciples. Why? Because you phileo me. Was there something wrong? Was he chastising him here? No, not at all. Okay? 1 Corinthians 16.22 If anyone does not, if anyone has no love for the Lord, let him be accursed. Now the word for love here is phileo. Titus 3.15 
all who are with me send greetings to you. Greet those who love us in the faith. Grace be with you all. The word for love here again, phileo. So if phileo means only a casual or friendly type of love, then I have to ask you this on the verses we just looked at. Does God love the saints casually because they love the Son casually? Should we love our brothers in the faith casually? Should we love the Lord, Yeshua, casually? Does the Father love the Son casually? See, these, these words are not just describing a casual type of love. Let's look at some comparison between agapao and phileo in the Scripture. John 21.20 Peter turned and saw the disciple whom Yeshua loved following him. Hopefully we all knew this is this is Lazarus, okay? Lazarus, yeah, he's the disciple that you know the Lord loves. That makes sense. And here it's Agapao. We expect that, right? Let's go back a chapter. John 20, verse 2. So she ran and went to Simon Peter and the other disciple. Which other disciple? The one whom Yeshua loved, and said to them, They've taken the Lord away. Okay, so here we see same disciple, right? Lazarus, the one who loved, a different word for love here. This is phileo. Wait a minute. Why would John tell us that Yeshua loved the disciple intimately, deeply, selflessly, spiritually in one place, another way, he just kind of casually loves him, affectionately. Maybe they're synonymous. Maybe there's not a big difference as we've been making over this thing. Let's look at Hebrews 12.6. The Lord disciplines the ones He loves and chastens every son whom He receives. Loves here, agapao. All right? you, if the Lord loves you, you're going to get disciplined because you're His child. But look at Revelation 3.19. Those whom I love, I reprove and discipline. The word for love here is phileo. So in both these verses, the word discipline is paiduo. So the Lord disciplines those He agapaos and those He phileos. All right. Again, it's hard to see a difference in these words. Luke eleven forty three. Woe to you! We saw this one, Pharisees, for you love the best seats in the synagogue. They agapao the best seats. But look what Luke says in chapter twenty, verse forty six. Beware the scribes that like to walk around in long robes and love greetings in the marketplace and the best seats in the synagogue. The word love here, below. Best seats. Now, why would Luke tell us that the Pharisees loved greetings and the uppermost in the synagogue intimately, deeply, selflessly, spiritually, with God's kind of love, and then say they just kind of affectionately did? 1 Thessalonians 4.9 Now concerning brotherly love, you have no need for anyone to write to you. You yourselves have been taught by God to love one another. Brotherly love here is Philadelphia. All right? It's from phileo. And love here is agapaho. Now listen, he says, concerning brotherly love, you don't need anybody to tell you, write you and tell you to do it because you, you are taught by God to agapaho. So he makes them synonymous right here. You're, you're loving this way and God taught you to love this way. Different words. 1 Peter 1.22, having purified your souls by your obedience to the truth for a sincere brotherly love, love one another earnestly from a pure heart. Same thing. Brotherly love, Philadelphia, form of phileo, and love, here's agapao. So in these verses, we see phileo and agapao used interchangeably. But that's not what you hear from most Bible teachers. Okay? And what I want you to understand is godly love far exceeds the word agape. Okay, To understand the attitudes and actions of godly love requires far, far more revelation than knowing the definition of a couple Greek words. Okay, And it's, it can be confusing if you say, well, God's love is agapao. Well, Demas had God's kind of love, so he left. He loved the world. He loved the age. And that, those don't make sense. It's a very broad term. Modern society portrays love as an emotion, a feeling, while the Bible portrays God's love primarily as actions. You do something. The labor of love is how we treat God and how we treat other people. The Greek word agape, agapao, do not imply anything about obeying God. There's nothing about obedience in those words, but the Lord Himself told us, if you love Me, do what? Keep My commandments. Alright? That's part of it. And I think that helps us further demonstrate that they don't represent godly love. 
It's just a word used for that. Again, like our word, love. Now, if you want to know about God's love, then you go to 1 Corinthians 13, which is known as the love chapter. All right? And the chapter that most succinctly sums up, this is what godly love. This is what God wants from you. This is His kind of love. And this one chapter reveals far more than any definition of agape or agapao would ever be able to do. And to imply that we can sum up God's love with the word agape, I think it's far from accurate. Because agape can be used of our bad feelings and attractions to things that are anti-God. Alright? So we just have to learn from the text. How is he using agape? Is that used in a good sense? You know, like when we use the word love. I love my dog, I love my wife. Same thing? Hopefully not. Okay? In my case, not at all. Not even close. Okay? I like my dog way more. I'm just kidding. <laughs> just kidding. <laughs> but you. <laughs> I think me and the dog are going to get closer from now on. <laughs> just kidding. I'm trying to. Exa- I'm trying to give you an example of love, and that's. But see, agape is that same way. It's broad. Don't try to just make it God's love, because. Then you run into trouble with some of these scriptures. So what does a godly love look like? Well, let me, let me show you what God's love looks like. This is what Paul tells us. He says, love is patient, it's kind, doesn't envy or boast, it's not arrogant or rude, doesn't insist on its own way, it's not irritable or resentful, it doesn't rejoice at wrongdoing, but rejoices with the truth. Love bears all things, believes all things, hopes all things, endures all things. All right, so if you want to know, am I loving God? Well, let's look at this. Am I loving my brothers? Let's compare it with this. This is a text you want to memorize, okay? This is a text that will help you when you're driving down the road and you're not being too loving, you know, to remember some of these descriptions here. Well, the first thing Paul says about love is it's patient, all right? This is the Greek word makrothumia, all right? It's a word that almost on every occasion in the New Testament conveys the idea of having an infinite capacity to be injured without paying back. In other words, this is a person you can do a lot of things to and they're like, I'm not getting aggravated. I'm not going to try to hurt you. I'm not going to try to pay you back. And it, 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 this word is in regard to people, not circumstances. It's having a long fuse. The loving person is able to be inconvenienced or take advantage of by a person and yet not get upset or angry. You know what's really sad? When we see a person who truly is patient, we think, man, they're just letting everybody walk all over. And God says, yeah, that's my kind of love. Love is kind. This is the Greek word, Christ euomai, and it means to show oneself useful. To act benevolently, to, to be kind or good. Kindness and goodness are so closely related that they are often used interchangeably. The verb itself speaks of activity, active goodwill, being useful to somebody else's good. So if you're kind, you do something that actually helps them, all right? Helpful to a person, even if it involves sacrifice. Kind people are easy to take, they're not harsh. In the New Testament, the verb appears only in 1 Corinthians 13.4, but the noun and the adjective for kindness occur repeatedly in Paul's epistles. Believers, we're called to be kind. So Paul says that love has an infinite capacity to be injured without paying back. I just think about that you know, on the road when we're not really being injured, but we think we are because somebody just took our road away from us, you know? Love reacts to injury by doing kind deeds to the person who has injured them. We would make fun of people who live like this. But this is, this is the difference. Okay, This is God's kind of love. And people, in our cruel and unkind society, we are set apart when we are kind. And we've talked about this many times, but you get online and in these chat rooms and Christians are ripping each other to shreds over stupid stuff. You know, and I guess when he talks about being kind, he only means in person, right? When you do online, doesn't count. That excluded somehow. It's ridiculous because everybody's watching, and we see these Christians ripping each other apart. And let me add here: it's not just society that's cruel and unkind. Okay, too often the same thing you see in the church. There's just no patience with them, no kindness to one another, and that's really sad. 
I was in an email dialogue with a man fighting with homosexual tendencies. Now let me make this very clear. This man was not involved in sin at all. Okay? He was fighting tendencies. This man wrote me and he said, I've been struggling with homosexuality since I was young. I was molested by a male in my family. By the time I was a teenager, it just seemed to overtake me. I have been saved since the age of five, but I don't know if I really am saved because of this. He goes on to say, I believe Jesus Christ is the Son of God, born of a virgin. Jesus is God in the flesh. He came to earth to die on the cross for the sins of man. I trust Jesus as my Lord and Savior, and I know without Him I don't stand a chance at eternal salvation. Am I saved? How do I get delivered from homosexuality? I hate it. I responded to him, if you've trusted Christ, you are saved. Nothing can change that. I said, you need to continue to resist your homosexual impulses and strive to live a holy life. Not to be saved, but because sin has consequences. You need to trust God to give you the strength you need to live a holy life. Get someone to help hold you accountable. I said, we all face sinful desires and we need to trust Yahweh's strength to overcome them. And here's what he responded to me. He says, I have found Christians to be the most hateful people I know. I know that sounds harsh. Very few of them actually show love when someone has a problem such as mine. He goes on to say, if only Christians would stop throwing stones and realize we're all sinners and lost without the blood of our Savior. He says, my entire family is all Christian. I have been since and have been since young ages. Not one of them can I share this with. And neither with our friends who are believers also. I can't trust them, he said. And at the age of 33, I am yet to find a Christian who won't shun me and turn their back. I don't live this lifestyle. But the temptation, the urge is there. Deliverance, he says, I pray for it every day of my life. I still don't understand why God has not helped me out of this misery. Thanks so much for your kind words. I reached out to other ministers and Christians, but it's similar experience every time. You'd think I had leprosy. Well, leprosy is not a sin, but neither is this man's temptations. Okay? And we all face temptations. Too often we give in to them. This man hasn't, and yet he realizes that in the church you've got to be really careful. You, know, you can't share with people because they'll condemn you, they'll write you off. You know, how sad would it be to be trying to live a holy, godly life when your temptations are not to? And we all have those temptations, you know? Whether it's homosexual or, or heterosexual, we still fight those temptations. But how sad to have no one to help. No one to talk to, no one to share with, no one to pray with. Too often the church is a bunch of hypocrites who indulge in sin and condemn others for doing the same thing. At the time of this man's greatest need, there is nobody there for him. In the church! So where is he supposed to get help? This is why people give up and leave the church and go join the homosexual movement. At least the people like him there. He struggles alone in the midst of the church. People, the church is so often not kind. But this is God's love that we're to show. We're to be kind. Paul says in Ephesians 4.32, Be kind to one another tender-hearted, forgiving one another as God in Christ forgave you. It's, <laughs> we're a family, and in a family, guess what? You're going to have problems, right? And so that's why he says, you need to be forgiving of one another. You need to be kind to one another. When we display kindness, we are not showing necessarily agape. We are showing God's kind of love. Love that sets us apart. All right, he goes on. Love doesn't envy. Now, this is the first of eight negative descriptions of love. You know, we can only identify love by what it is, not only identify love by what it is by patient and kind, we can also identify love by what it's not. The Greek word here, envy, zeleo, comes from the Greek verb that means to boil. Isn't that interesting? Envy, boil. You understand that concept there? You want something so bad. You're envious of what they have. It's used both favorably and unfavorably in the Scripture. We're often not patient and kind because we're envious. Man, it makes me mad that he has that and I don't have that. Then he says, love does not boast. The Greek word here, periperiomai, the root word means a windbag, a braggart, to boast. Bragging is the other side of envy. 
See, envy is wanting what somebody else has. Bragging is trying to make others want what you have. Okay? Think about that. The whole idea of boasting is to make somebody feel like, hey, I'm better than you. Look what I got. Look what I can do. That's the purpose. That's the purpose of bragging. Love is not arrogant. The Greek word here, fusiao, means blowing or to inflate, to make proud, to puff up. The word differs from the previous word in that boasting is the expression of pride. Puffed up is pride itself. See, a man may be very proud but not express it because he's smart maybe. You know, so he keeps his mouth, you know, the proverb says even a fool when he keeps his mouth shut is considered wise. So he's proud but he doesn't express it and so no one really maybe knows that. We need to understand that the root problem in any conflict between two people is pride. That's why we're arguing about it. That's why we get so mad about things like that. He says, love is not rude. So we are to put off any behavior that would be rude. Now the Greek word here, aske moneo, this word has the meaning of acting inappropriately. The loveless person cares nothing for the feelings of those around him. Rude implies indifference to the feelings of others. It suggests intentional discourtesy, disrespect. It's any action, look, or comment that is disrespectful, discourteous. So love isn't rude. Paul also says it doesn't insist on its own way. Now, obviously that's selfishness, right? This is probably the key to everything. You know, we need to hear this. We are so consumed with ourselves that we often have no concern for others. Being unselfish in attitude strikes at the very core of our being. It means that we're willing to forego our own comfort, our own preferences, our own schedule, our own desires for the benefit of others. Paul continues and he tells us, love is not irritable. J.B. Phillips translates this, love is not touchy. How many problems could be solved if people weren't so touchy? The Greek word used here, parak, paraksuno, means to arouse to anger. And this, this is the origin of our English word, paroxysms. You know, a sudden outburst, a sudden emotion. Love is not irritable. Man, I was going over this other this week and I'm like, ooh. Steps all over my toes, okay? Um, okay, Lord, so I'm not being that loving there. I've got to deal with that. Paul goes on and says, love is not resentful. This is, this is legizomai. Legizomai implies, it's a bookkeeping term. And it means keeping a record. You know, when I hear the word resentful here in the ESV, it doesn't quite do it for me as the NASB does. It says, does not take into account a wrong suffered. In other words, when somebody hurts you, you don't... Let me mark that down. I'm keeping a record of this. Okay, that's three times you've done... No, it doesn't, it's not resent, it doesn't resent what you do. It doesn't mark it down. It doesn't keep track. It doesn't do that. It forgives. It lets go. So if you're keeping a record, you know, you got that mental... Oh, that's twice they did that. I'm going to let it go one more time. That's it. No, you're keeping a record. You're being resentful. That's, that's not love. Aren't you glad God doesn't keep a record? Love does not rejoice in wrongdoing. The word rejoice here, caro, means to be cheerful, to be happy, to be glad. Wrongdoing is from the Greek word adikia, and it means iniquity, unjust, unrighteous. The general drift of this passage represents love in the relation to others. Injustice has to do with our treatment of fellow man. So I think we could translate, love takes no joy in the sin of others. Just doesn't, you know, you don't like that person. Oh, look what they messed up. Ah, that's good. No. No, that's not love. Love rejoices with the truth. This is the positive side. Why does Paul compare these two? Because justice is, is, is predicated upon truth. All right? You can't be just until you behave yourself in accord with God's truth. Justice and truth are connected in the Scriptures. That's, you know, because a lot of times you think something is unjust. It's not unjust. We've got to go by the Scriptures. Love bears all things. This is the Greek word stego. It's a verb difficult to be dogmatic on because it has a couple uses. It could mean to roof over. 
to cover with silence, or it could mean to endure patiently. And because of the last, uh, these verses deal with endurance, I think it's best to see it as covers with silence. In other words, love covers. When it learns something unpleasant about another, it doesn't run around, it doesn't tell everybody what they just heard, the latest gossip, it covers it. Puts a cover over that to protect that person. It doesn't delight in misdeeds of others. It covers it. keeps silent. Love, he says, believes all things. This is pistuo, believing. To have faith. The context here requires us to understand this of the conduct of others. Love is ready to believe anything that has a ground and reality to it. It is always ready to start over. You know, okay, you messed up 10,000 times. I'm going to believe that now you're going to do it. I'm going to have trust in you. Means you're ready to trust somebody anew. Give them another chance. Believes all things. You say, but you don't know the person. (laughs) God knows you and he, He believes all things, all right? Hopes all things. This again refers to the conduct of others. Rather than having a negative and critical spirit, it's always positive and hopeful. Love is hopelessly optimistic, it never stops hoping. And they failed a bunch of times, but you know, they're going to get it right. Let's keep hoping. Love endures all things. This is the Greek word hupomone. This is a military term. So it has to do with being positioned in the midst of a violent battle and hold your ground. You're enduring a lot. You know, you don't know what they, I heard that so many times. You don't know what they did to me. And so you can tell God that when you get to heaven. You can go to Christ, you know, who suffered on the cross for you, and you can tell, you don't know what they did to me. Seems kind of stupid, doesn't it? Sounds silly. You're going to tell God what they did to you? Love stands against incredible opposition and it still loves. It never quits. It never gives up on anyone. It cares too much to give up. You know, we've heard stories over and over with persecuted church. You know, people in prison camps winning their guards over, winning other people over, winning leadership over because they just love in the midst of great persecution. They love. Cares too much to give up. Godly love covers the faults of others. It believes what otherwise is unbelievable. It hopes in what otherwise is hopeless. It endures when anything less than love would give up. To live like this, to live a sacrificial life, is to be set apart to Yahweh. This is holiness. This is Yahweh's love. And when we live like this, the world will know that we belong to Christ. See, godly love is selfless, And it's sacrificial. Yeshua said this, This is my commandment, that you love one another. That's what I want you to do. I'm commanding you as believers, you do this. Well, love one another how? As I've loved you. Is that the standard? It's not, you know, love one another the way agape tells you to. It's not about agape. You love other people the way I have loved you. What has He forgiven you of? What does he let slide? How many times have you messed up? And, you know. So, what this is saying here is that we need to walk like he walked, right? You need to love as I've loved you. And that's what we've been looking at in 1 John. Whoever says he abides in him, abides, another word for fellowship, another word for, you know, communion with God. He ought to walk in the same way in which he walked. So, if we're in fellowship with Christ, One way to tell that is we'll see His love coming through us to others. And love is not what you decide or think it is. It's what the divine Scriptures tell us it is. In 1 Corinthians 13, like I said, memorize those verses. They'll be very helpful in your life because the Holy Spirit will bring to your remembrance just when you need it. Love is not irritable. Oh, you're really irritable, so you're not being loving. Now, that's the Holy Spirit's job, not the wife's job, okay? (laughs) Let's pray. Father, I thank You today for Your Word. Lord, we spent a lot of time focusing on the subject of agape, and I just want us to be aware, Lord, that we have to be careful in following what other people say about the Word. Help us to learn to dig, to study, to research on our own, that we would go behind people and search things out. 
Father, it seems, like I said, so clear to me that this word is used very generally in so many cases. But help us to understand that we are called as your people to love as you loved us. That standard is incredibly high. I know there's no way we can do that in our own strength. So I pray we'd learn to trust in you, Lord, to walk in a way that brings honor to you. May we abide in you, Father. Thank you for your grace to us. Amen. Two things, a couple things. things I thought of. All right, first of all, I made a mistake during the message. There was a Freudian slip. No one caught it. All right, I didn't hear. <laughs> okay, if anybody catches that, if you, any of you caught it, let me know. Um, I'm not telling you what it is, but if you missed it, you missed it. Another thing, I want to encourage you that, you know, we talk about these people who sit around and they've never advanced. You know, we can encourage that. By encouraging them, hey, have you looked at this? You know, look what I saw in the Scripture. Encouraging them to move on in the Lord. If they're not in the right environment, they need someone to encourage them. And then don't give up. We had a kid in our youth department who was there for every event, everything, always there. You just got the impression he could care less about spiritual things. He just was there. And we're like scratching our heads. Why does he keep coming? About ten years down the road, boom, it clicked and he took off. Just got so excited about the Lord and the Scriptures and it just... So, you know, we just don't know. Just keep on going. Keep sharing. As we read the passage in Romans, you're able to admonish one another. That's what our job is. We're to be teachers. We're to teach other people to encourage them to move on.